Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping product managers become product masters. Listen and get ready to take your career to the next level, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where you make your move from product manager to product master, learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence, so you and your team will create products customers love. Now, I'm wrapping up a three-month road trip through the northeast of the U.S. It has been awesome. It's been giving me time to meet many innovators and product managers. And I had a few experiences, including visiting Niagara Falls. I had never been there before. And the sure volume of water that comes over the falls was amazing to me. And also, there were some key innovators involved at Niagara Falls. And that rekindled an interest in me to look into historic innovators again. did that a little bit when I was a kid, but haven't really as an adult. And one of those is Nikola Tesla, often thought of as the person behind how electricity is created and distributed. So I went looking for a Tesla historian that could help us understand this innovator and what we as modern innovators and product managers can learn from him. My search led me to award-winning author Bernie Carlson. Bernie wrote the book Tesla, Inventor of the Electrical Age, and is well-recognized for his research on Tesla as well as many other historic innovators. He is a professor and the director of engineering business programs at the University of Virginia. In the interview, you'll hear about Tesla and what we can learn from him, including navigating creativity, understanding illusion and storytelling to sell your ideas because we got to get others to believe in our ideas, what modern innovators shared characteristics with Tesla, and the balance of invention and business skills that innovators need. You'll find the summary of our discussion at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 201. Now to the discussion with Bernie. Bernie, thanks for joining the Everyday Innovators. It's great to be here with you, Chad. I'm glad I was able to track you down. I'll give you a little backstory on that for listeners, too. So I've been on this three-month trip through the Northeast. This is Niagara Falls for the first time, which is just an impressive volume of water going over those falls, but also home to kind of our early hydro generation of power. One of the groups behind that was Tesla with Westinghouse. And it kind of rekindled my interest in Tesla. When I was a kid, I had, I studied some of his works, but didn't re- really read much about him or Edison. And kind of got reinterested in both of them. And while I was there, there is a Tesla museum. And I asked if they had a historian I could talk to. They didn't have one. And I asked if they could refer me to one. And they didn't have one. So I went looking. And you are the award-winning author of a Tesla book and known as a very well-regarded Tesla historian. So we're talking. <laughs> that's, that's great. Well, it's always nice to know that uh, my reputation is, is out there and uh, I'm known for something other than uh, my ability to, uh, to make a, uh, a mean rack of uh, barbecued ribs. <laughs> well, you know, that, that's a good thing, too, for sure, especially if I was, it was Sunday afternoon. It that's Sunday. right, yeah. For Tesla, where did your interest come from? So I got interested in Tesla by way of studying lots of different inventors. When I was in graduate school, my um, professor at the University of Pennsylvania, Tom Hughes, in a sort of proverbial way, went around the uh, seminar table one day and and he pointed to different people and he said, I'm giving you this territory and I'm giving you that territory. And Mm -hmm. uh, and one one lady got basically space history and somebody else got uh, Soviet electrification and the one that I dreaded was, was whether I would get German electrification because then I would have to learn German and all sorts of stuff. And he got to me and he pointed and he said, you're going to do inventors. And, and we found an inventor uh, similar to Edison, 
similar to Tesla, named Elijah Thompson, whose papers were in Philadelphia, where I was going to graduate school. Huh. So I wrote about Elijah Thompson, but I also learned along the way there a lot about Edison and Nikola Tesla. And uh, and a few years later, some years later, uh, in the 90s, uh, a filmmaker came to me and basically sourced, I want to do a PB, I'm doing a PBS show on Tesla. So I started talking to him and thinking about doing, you know, helping him out with that. And in the end, he went and did his companion, his companion book. Mm-hmm. And I decided to do a full blown biography of, yeah. of Tesla with support from the, the Sloan Foundation. And most people had avoided up until the 90s doing anything with Tesla because his papers are in in Beograd in what was then Yugoslavia, what is mm-hmm. today Serbia. And so there were no, there were no, there was no major collection of materials to use to to study study Tesla. The other part was this is is he was fairly complicated in that he's he clearly had some important inventions, but he depending on who you asked, he was either crazy, autistic, uh, or a, a, you know came to Earth on the wings of a giant came to the Earth on the wings of a giant dove from Venus. Hmm. So so there was there was this this mix of just. You know, incredible eccentricity and serious technical work. And to figure all of that out, he I became completely drawn in because he was in some ways the Mount Everest of writing about inventors. Hmm. Yeah, there is a lot around, well, now that we have the web, a lot around the Internet about him that's interesting. Swirls, myths <laughs> swirls around the man. When I was uh, younger, maybe 16 or so, my brother and I, we built a about a three, four foot long Tesla coil, mm-hmm. which was just great fun. And that's probably my strongest connection to, yeah. to Tesla. Yeah, yeah. The title for the book now that you've published is uh, Tesla, Inventor of the Electrical Age. But I saw an earlier title, as you were talking about when you were working on the book, mm-hmm. uh, Ideal and Illusion, which kind of suggests this dichotomy of characteristics. But let's talk through those. What's sure. that about? So, yeah, I indeed wanted to call the book Ideal and Illusion, and my publisher quite sensibly, uh, you know, smacked me on the side of the head and said, you don't want to do this, son. You want to you want a straight up title uh, if you want to reach a wide audience. And I've been very lucky to have lots of people, have, uh, you know, read the book and been interested in it. Ideal and Illusion, to get there, we have to talk about what you are doing when you're writing about an inventor. What you want to do is you want to understand their style. In other words, kind of what makes them tick what carries from one invention to another. In other words, mm-hmm. you don't want the story of an inventor to be one damn thing after another. Mm-hmm. So so you're trying to do, you know kind of you know identify traits or themes that carry you carry the story forward. And and as I worked on on Tesla, I realized that ideal and illusion are two things that are intention in his in his in his journey. He comes in in terms of his background as as a as I mentioned, because you might guess from his papers being in, in Beograd, Serbia, he is born to a Serbian family uh, that grows up in what is today Croatia. Hmm. And his father was a priest in the Serbian Orthodox Church, which is like the Greek Orthodox Church or the Russian Orthodox Church. And in that, in that faith tradition, there is a notion of the Logos, which is, 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 is that the creator, God's presence, is, is, is found in everything. Mm-hmm both natural and man-made, okay, that there is a hidden logic or fundamental principle that's, that's, that's residing there. For Tesla, the job of an inventor was to identify that hidden principle, that logos, the perfect way to build something. And I call that the idea. So when Edison, when Edison invented, to use a counterexample, 
he would be tinkering with everything on his bench top, trying this, trying that, and and working from yeah, the materials. He was an experimenter. Up. He was an experimenter. Yeah. He was he was a master tinkerer. That doesn't mean that he didn't think about science and he didn't think about big principles, but he worked from the bottom up. Tesla worked from the, worked from the top down. So Tesla, if you wanted to watch him invent, it probably was really, really boring because he would probably spend, he spent most of his time thinking about what he was going to do, writing some stuff down, thinking about it some more, and then think about it again. And when he finally had worked out in his head what he thought was the perfect way to build an electric motor or develop a wireless power system, then he would go into the laboratory and build it. Now, he, he claimed later in life, uh, in, in his famous, he, he gets ironically, the Edison medal from the uh, American Institute of Electrical Engineers. He says, you know, saw it in my mind's eye, worked it out in detail, and then it worked pers- first time every time. Now, anybody who's ever even built anything from Ikea knows nothing ever works the even, first time. Even when you have the tested instructions, right? Exactly, right. But that was that was the ideal piece, yeah. and it's a very different sort of way of doing invention. Mm-hmm. And it, it and by working that theme, I could connect Tesla's life back to you know he he was never a very religious man, but I think he was very spiritual in a certain mm-hmm. sense. But it, I could connect it back to the, what he learned and what he was thinking about in the ferment of his family as he was as he was coming of age and in 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 in, in that Serbian family living in Croatia, right. and then I could carry it forward. Now, to get to the illusion part... And before we go to the illusion, on the right. ideal part, let me ask you about that. So the, the contrast there with Edison is the experimenter. Right. You know, today, for modern product managers, we encourage experimentation, right? That's right. Because we know we're not going to get it right the first time. We want to right. get customer feedback. We want to test prototypes. We want to get more feedback right. and evolve. And I had read uh, that there was, because of that point, Tesla did not respect Edison's approach and thought it was a huge waste of energy and time. Right. Is that true? Right. Or? No, it's, it's absolutely true. Is 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 that Tesla, you know, regarded Edison's you know method as looking for a needle in a haystack, and Tesla, you know, would would basically follow out that analogy, and, and not that he said this, but his argument would be is that you 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 work out in your mind what is the most likely part of the haystack right. that the needle's going to be in. Right. And uh, and take that approach. And Tesla is not the the only inventor that worked this way. Alexander Graham Bell was very simple, similar. In fact, in the, in one page in Bell's notebook, he writes, "Today I am a theoretical inventor." And it's like, hell yes, you are. <laughs> and it's yeah. And we tend to want to you know believe that innovators um, operate from you know largely by tinkering, by by experiment. But on the other hand, you know, certain important developments in, in, in modern research, it is by, by really understanding the scientific principles and then sort of saying, okay, so if this is true, can we actually make this happen in, in terms of a particular material? Can we create this phenomenon? Right. And I'd argue that it's not something I've studied extensively, but my sense is, is the development of the transistor in 1947. They really understood the physics of semiconductors right, the and what was going to, you know, that they were they were actually going to be able to create and then manipulate these materials mm-hmm. to get the, the to get that junction effect in the first transistors. Yeah, there's that grounding in the body of knowledge that's relevant. That's right, and it's kind of I think it's startling missing in Edison's and his lab people, right? Yeah, exploration of the light bulb. Like, like why would you think cork might be a good material to glow? 
right? There, there, there was, you know, when they went through their several hundred materials they tried, there seemed to be looking back, which is always easy, right. some fundamental lack of understanding of the electrical properties. Right. Right. But, but I mean, I think you also, and we're, we're talking about Tesla here, not yeah, right. Edison, but, but, you know, but in, in my work on, on Edison, I, I would argue that yes, there's a lot of of stuff that's happening on on the on the benchtop and manipulating materials and trying different things. But Edison had the critical insight which other folks did not have, which is is I know I want a high resistance material right for this filament. And and pretty quickly he then had the secondary insight, which is is this is is this is carbon is going to be a pretty promising space. Mm-hmm. Or, or, you know, or material for this. The question then is, is this, is how am I going to, how am I going to get the right carbon to do this job? Right. And so then, uh, then we're off to, you know, to the drag hunt of looking yeah. at all of these materials. So right. there's, there's always this, there's always, there's all, I would always argue that there's an ideal or a mental model that, that an inventor has. And, and then that is manifested in, in the stuff that's actually on the benchtop, in the actual artifacts and models and mm-hmm. prototypes. And it's a back and forth thing between those two things. I mean, you know, if you, you know, Edison would try any number of things, and he'd come up with, a, he'd come up, he'd revise his mental model. Right. The interesting thing about Tesla is, 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 is that, you know, it's mostly top down, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's either his greatest strength or, his, as we'll see, his greatest weakness, which might bring us to the illusion part. Correct. So the illusion part to get there, we have to talk for a moment about about Plato. And a famous story in Plato's dialogues called the Analogy of the Cave. What happens is, is this is Plato wants to establish what is the philosopher king. In other words, what does the philosopher do? So he argues that most of us spend our lives down in a cave, okay, basically endlessly watching flickering images on a wall because the candle, the, the fire is behind us, and and, and you know, and, and people can go on at some length that they're. People are sort of locked, you know, kind of locked into these neck braces that keep them focused on this wall. But people endlessly discuss what is causing the flickering of the of the flames of the images that they're seeing, and they can never turn around and actually see the fire or see the sun beaming into the cave. Um, but all they can do is deal with the illusion. And the philosopher is, of course, the one that actually knows what's going on. They can look at the sun. They can understand the truth. Okay, so. Tesla is the philosopher inventor who can see the truth, the grand principle behind something, behind you know the way to make an electric motor or develop a wireless power system. The rest of us mere mortals, also known as schmucks, okay, not my word, not Tesla's, okay, you know, can't grasp the full totality of the idea. Mm-hmm. So to engage us to invest in in, in the research or to develop the product or to even consume the product, you know, we have to be in, engaged by way of illusions, about stories, about images, mm-hmm. about values. Those are the things that, you know, allow the an inventor like Tesla to negotiate with society to get the resources that he needs to take his invention to the next level. So he has to get you fired up. He, he clearly at a certain point with Westinghouse, Reached the stage where he said he all he had to do was say half in a sentence. Imagine an an electric motor that could do. And then Westinghouse, because he was so enamored with with everything that Tesla had said, filled in the last half of the sentence. And so the illusion is that is that is that bridge between the two. Okay, and an absolutely vital part of 
of the innovation process is is that ability to to negotiate. You know, we all, I often say the inventor like Tesla negotiates with nature and negotiates with society. So the negotiating with nature is the experimentation, trying to get your idea, your grand principle to sort of conform to reality, conform to nature, or get nature to conform to your idea. Yeah. Okay. The other half of the, of being an innovator, in my view, is is that you have to negotiate with society, and you, so you have to turn around and basically convince society that this is the late, the, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread. Right. Okay. When sliced bread really was an innovation right. in the 1930s, but we're not we're not doing bread today. We're doing Tesla. So so Tesla is all about, and he's he is probably of being the American pantheon of inventors. Tesla is probably the greatest guy in terms of this engaging, hmm. you know, engaging different groups and getting them to believe that there is going to be a fabulous new electrical age. Right. We'll get back to the discussion in just a minute. This episode of The Everyday Innovator is brought to you by Product Innovation Educators, your one place for online training to make the move from product manager to product master. When you enroll in one of our online courses, it's like having Chad McAllister as your personal coach. In each course, you get video lessons, added resources, and a private community for collaboration with other product managers and innovators. And, of course, you get direct access to Chad, who will answer your questions and get you heading in the right direction. Past students tell us the concepts, practices, and tools are valuable, but the real benefits they gain are being more confident, increasing their influence in their organization, and generating greater success for themselves and their company. There are four levels of training to become a product master. Find your level now. Get started by going to TheEverydayInnovator.com forward slash master. You're one place to become a product master. TheEverydayInnovator.com forward slash master. Don't wait. Get started now. So as innovators, you know, innovators listening too, we can come up with a great idea. We might be able to get a little support for it. And sooner or later, we run into a wall. If it's a really good idea, it's going to be sooner, it seems, more, more times than not. So this ability to kind of paint the picture of what could be and get people on your side is essential for innovators, or nothing ever actually moves forward, right? And things just kind of stop. The, I think of innovators fundamentally as providing more value to a customer than they have other options to them available already. And that involves an aspect of invention, doing something new, and also a, an aspect of you know, being a good business person, positioning this in an engaging way where people will take notice and be convinced that it does provide them more value, right? That they can see that. And it sounds like Tesla was good on both of those fronts. Yes, absolutely. And to some extent, it, it was that he had to learn from having a good business backer or partner for Westinghouse. He had a, a great finance, a financial backer named Charles Peck, who had made a fortune outsmarting Jay Gould on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. And then Tesla went to work with with Westinghouse. And all the way through there, the the backers are and Westinghouse are the business people that help Tesla really understand how his inventions are going to add value to various stakeholders. For Westinghouse, you know, it was it was first and foremost he needed a portfolio of patents so that he as the as a latecomer, Westinghouse being a latecomer into the electrical manufacturing industry in the 1880s, basically wasn't going to invent wasn't going to invent anything. Go hire a bunch of inventors like Tesla 
can buy their patents and then build up his his alternating current system. Hmm. And then Westinghouse engineers looked at the, at, his, at the Tesla patents and said, oh, we can actually configure this so that we can move electricity from being a fairly expensive, almost luxury product, which is what the Edison DC incandescent right. lights were, to being something that because we can provide more, you know, provide electricity to more people over a greater area. That's that's the heart and soul of why, it, why AC versus DC. The electricity becomes first a middle class and indeed kind of a mass product. Right. But it is it's that ability, you're absolutely right, Chad, to basically figure out how an invention adds value to more and more stakeholders or different stakeholders. When you were looking at Tesla, did you see that as uh, inherent characteristic that he had? He had a strength in being able to kind of paint that picture, paint a vision? Or did it come more through those interactions with the investors? So that's a really good question. What I would say is Tesla basically had an interesting mix of being very, very rigorous in that editing of, of the ideal for an invention combined with a very lively imagination to imagine whole worlds around his invention and to anticipate that it really we could really live in sort of an electrical utopia. He, my words, not his, but he was really thinking that, you know, that this was going to happen. Now, there is a gap between, you know, imagining the great white city of, of say, the Chicago World's Fair in 1893, where You've got tens of thousands of light bulbs all illuminating the buildings at the at the fair by Westinghouse generators. So Tesla could envision, you know, a city that would look like that. But he he was he needed business he needed business partners he needed engineering partners that were actually going to take his basic idea and scale it right. to work in the Chicago World's Fair or to scale it in Niagara. So, so he, he has he, there's a middle piece that he, he Tesla has a great imagination. He's able to engage people to sort of see the future. But then there's a middle piece that gets you from the technology to mm-hmm. you know that reality that requires partnering. Yeah, if I'm understanding, you're right about this. It sounds like it wasn't the middle piece wasn't just the financial backing, but there was a, an evolution in thinking and application too of what this could be. That's right. Yeah. No, no, there's there's Tesla's patents. Tesla got with the alternating current motor, his biggest success. He he lucked out in that he he basically had by 1888 a portfolio of patents, which was a really interesting mix. And I, I don't think people always stop and think about this. Some of them were very specific applications. Make an alternating current motor that looks like this. Do the windings this way. Okay. At the same time, he's got these broad systems patents that sort of say, if you've got an AC motor and you've got an AC generator and you hook them up this way, in other words, with three-phase wiring, uh, or si- he, he actually wanted, you know, because it actually works better, he wanted six or nine wires. Mm-hmm. Okay, made all the engineers at Westinghouse kind of, you know, kind of pull out their hair because the fewer wires between the, the transmission, right. the generator and the transmission, the power station, excuse me, and the end user and the motor, the better. Okay, it's just cheaper. That's but that's that's, that's not tough. perfect. That's not ideal. Okay, so but he, you know, but to work all of those, work out all of those details in that portfolio of patents was the real challenge, and other people had to step in and, and provide that value. Is there a, a modern day innovator that you think of that has that kind of the the ideal analogy characteristics too? For me, the incredible parallel here is with Steve Jobs. Mm. 
Now, Tesla had more technical chops than Jobs. Let me just get that out in, out in front. But in terms of this sort of imagining the perfect personal computer or an iPhone that is going to have a brilliant set of features that that you and I are going to just absolutely love. That's that's the ideal that Jobs had. And Jobs was always very clear, much like Tesla is. I know what the perfect phone looks like. Would, would be what Jobs says. Tesla would say, "I know what the perfect alternating current motor is going to look like." Okay, so they, they're both in in the same in that same regard. Jobs also had the skill to get people to think in you know in incredibly broad terms about the possibilities of computers and 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 personal electronics. Right. And very skilled at getting people to kind of bend to his will to make the impossible possible. Yes. And and Tesla had the same sort of magnetic personality. And if you ever see Tesla pictures, and I'm I'm, I'm showing Chad the cover of my book simply because it's right here, you'll see that that there are always three quarter profiles. Hmm. Okay. There's never there's never there's never a you know side view of him and there's never really a head on view. There are always these three quarter profiles and he has these eyes that are just drilling yeah. into you. Yeah. And they look like they're following Tesla's following you around uh, with this. Uh, the reason why you know, he thought very carefully about his imagery this way, the point, the reason for this particular thing is, is he had a really pointy chin, which, you know, this this pose minimizes. But he was tall, dark, handsome and mysterious. And and people loved it. Mm-hmm. OK, whether it be whether it be business people were sucked in by his personality or by newspaper reporters or, or ordinary people. So Tesla yeah. had that same sort of magnetic qualities that we talk about with jobs. Yeah, yeah it's a good comparison. Thanks very much. Let me ask you about that. The people loving him because there is this mystique that follows him, you know. And when I was a kid, and I remember having this very large volume on Tesla inventions that I looked through and didn't understand much of it, right? But you come across things like his death ray or his earthquake machine the size of a package of cigarettes and stuff that is written about him tying things together. What, what, where do the, these conspiracy theories that surround him kind of come from? What's the source of that? So I'm glad you asked that. And, and I, have to, I have to say that in getting ready for this interview, I thought more about that question than anything else because it's, it's a really important question. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure I ever, you know, when I, I finished the book, you know, I'm not sure I ever had an exact answer for that. So first, I think the, the best the best answer I'll give you is, is the snappy one-liner, which is, is extravagant inventions wind up requiring extravagant explanations. Okay? So all through his life, Tesla is always calling in the newspaper reporters, in the, and particularly in the 1890s, and promising that, you know, that when his, particularly at that point, he's, he's working on on his wireless power system, you know, what we would today, you know, talk about using radio waves. And that radio is a, is, is a word that doesn't show up until about 1904, 1905. So, so he's working with electromagnetic waves and he's promising all sorts of amazing things that he can do with the, mm-hmm. with electromagnetic waves. And it's a period of, of the, of the development of the tabloid newspapers. This is when the New York Post, the Daily News and all slew of penny papers show up. And so, and that basically, Three things sell in those papers, sex, crime, and science. And, and there are, you know, editors that basically tell the reporters, go out and get me, you know, a story has to have at least one, if not two of those things. So Tesla is basically simultaneously, you know, base, is drawn, he loves to tell those stories, but he's also 
manipulated by the yellow press. So it's complicated. It's a complicated yeah. dance that he does in the 1890s. But he overstates his case time and time again. He makes extravagant claims. Now, when he dies in 1943, he's he's penniless and he's more or less forgotten. Um, but pretty quickly, he he begins to be recovered by people who are fascinated by his promises that he's that his wireless power system would have broadcast power through the earth and it would have been so cheap that we'd never have to pay for any electricity. And people sort of said, "Well, gosh, I'd really like to have that, or sure. I'd really like to have." I'd really like to have us be able to talk to, you know, uh, talk to people on Mars or I really want the earthquake machine. And the people have people have a strong desire for those extravagant inventions. And then when they do not seem to have appeared, they those folks that really want those inventions engage in extravagant explanations as to why they did not happen, which often then turn conspiracies with starring Thomas Edison and J.P. Morgan. These stories, if people like these stories, God bless them. Okay. When I was working on the book, I'd, I'd meet somebody and sort of, and sort of, and they'd sort of say, Well, I'm a Tesla fan and you're working on a book about Tesla. And the very next thing out of their mouth would be nine out of 10 times, let me tell you my favorite Tesla story. And, and it would be, you know, often one of these, you know, one of these mm-hmm. extravagant, extravagant inventions, extravagant explanations, conspiracy. And I'd be just like, mm, eh, that never really happened. And so I came to the conclusion that I basically try to strike this bargain with Tesla fandom, which is you have your Tesla. You like your stories about him. Your stories about Tesla work for you in some way. And, you know, emotionally, culturally, whatever. That's just fine. Can I have my Tesla, who is grounded in historical reality mm-hmm. and hopefully teaches us a few lessons about how to think about technology and, and innovation? Right. And for those lessons, big picture, for innovators today, people involved in trying to create more value for others, what are, what's a key takeaway from your study of Tesla that's applicable to us, like how we should think or what we should do? So I want to take you back to the mid-1890s when he's at his height of his powers, and he's interviewed by a reporter, and the reporter wants to know why Tesla never got married. And there's lots of different explanations for why that is. But Tesla, at that time, in that interview, said that an inventor, and I quote him, this is Tesla, quote, has so intense a nature with so much of it a wild, passionate quality that he could not be married. But there is this tension between these two things an intense nature, and a wild, passionate quality. And innovators need to be, I would argue, need to be aware of both those sides of the creative process. Hmm. So let's do the wild, passionate part, because often we, that's, that's the, the, the one we immediately go to. And the wild, passionate part is, is that you need to have a vivid imagination. You need to be willing to kind of let, you know, let, your, you let your mind wander free. And, and Tesla, I think, had an incredible ability to let his mind wander free and imagine new uses for, for his inventions and entirely new societies right. building up around his inventions. Yeah. But that meant that he actually was committed to seeing the social role of his technology and, and imagining it, putting it in, in terms of specific kinds of details and ideas. And to some extent, it's like the best of science fiction does that. Right, yeah. Exploring that question, what if, what if we could? What would that look like? Exactly. Okay. But that has to be countered by the first part of what he said, is, 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 is an intense 
nature. You have to be willing to be disciplined and edit and shape and rework your idea. In other words, you're going to to be an ideal inventor like Tesla, then you have to be willing to really think through all the ramifications of your idea and wrestle with those details and make calculations, which Tesla did, never beyond beyond what looks like ordinary algebra. And a lot of people say, oh, we did all sorts of fancy calculus. And it's like, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. But you have to be willing to, to basically hone that idea. You know, in certain cases, Tesla had to do it. You have to build it. And you have to pay attention to the fact that it doesn't work quite right. And you have to tweak the design. And, and so you need to have, as an innovator, this, this sort of simultaneously, you know, disciplinary streak. But at the same time, you have to be able to dream. Tesla was often accused after about 19, 1905 or so of being a poet and a visionary. Hmm. And as a poet and a visionary, I think they, they got, they got something, something right about him. As I say at the very end of the book, you know, we should not let these complaint, complaints about Tesla being a, a, a poet and a visionary keep us from seeing what Tesla teaches us about disruptive technology. Radically new technology comes from within, from a willingness to discern ideals and to connect them to the needs and wishes of society. Tesla reminds us that like poets, technologists need to think hard but dream boldly. Only by doing so will we be able to use technology, as Tesla did, to create a little bit of heaven here on Earth. Hmm. So embrace the dream as innovators. But be disciplined. Yes. To go together. And who does who does the dreaming? The in our society we allow novelists to do the dreaming and we allow artists to do the dreaming. And then we, we you know, the discipline and the high analysis that's almost supposed to be dream free is science and engineering. Mm-hmm. We need those two together. Yeah. We need yeah. the poet and the visionary. And it's often why you see innovations coming out of teams and often cross-disciplinary teams, right? Teams that are interacting that don't typically interact. That's and, right. And something new emerges from that experience. That's right. Yeah. Because they can, they can, they can both, they can both be the dream, mm-hmm. but keep it grounded in reality. And, and that is a real challenge. And I feel a little better about growing up on Star Trek and loving science fiction now, too. Absolutely. So yeah. Helps with the dreaming part. That's right. Good. You shared a, a great quote there, too. As listeners know, I always ask for a quote towards the end of my interview. Is that the quote that you wanted to share? I just want to make sure yes. there was another one, one coming. So no, 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 no. I, 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 I wove it right into it. <laughs> that's excellent. So I know the book's full of quotes. For listeners that want to find your book, and also if you want to tell, you, this is just one sample of your work on technology as a historian. Tell us about the other work that you've done, too, and where, where listeners can find Sure, it. sure. The Tesla book, the full title is Tesla, Inventor of the Electrical Age, published by Princeton University Press. It's available in paperback, Kindle edition. Uh, there's also an Audible edition. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's in, like I say, if you want to read it in Turkish, uh, it's available <laughs> in Turkish, uh, Chinese, and Korean. Name just a few languages. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's the Tesla work. Um, in addition, I had the privilege of doing a series of 36 videos, each about a half hour long, on great inventions that change the world. Can be ordered from the teaching company um, along there under their product line, the Great Courses. Yeah. And I also uh, published a seven volume set to the public library market called Technology in World History that covers all sorts of civilizations, as I like to say. From Stonehenge to the Space Shuttle. Excellent. Now, that was published by Oxford University Press. Good. And for everyday innovators, I'll make sure that the links to all those resources are in the show notes to make it easy for you to get to. Bernie. And don't forget about Forbes.com. 
Well, tell us. Yes. Sorry, I didn't. I, I should have mentioned that as well. I uh, uh, publish a, a monthly story on Forbes.com on their leadership channel. Uh, I cover a, a range of topics, both contemporary and historical. Excellent. Bernie, it's been a great pleasure spending time with you, learning a little bit more about history of technology and your insights. Thanks for writing the Tesla book for us and sharing some uh, insights from that, too. My pleasure, Chad. Take care now. Thanks so much for listening to The Everyday Innovator, where you make your move from product manager to product master, gaining the influence and confidence you need to create products customers love. You can find a summary of the discussion with Bernie, as well as all the links to the resources that he mentioned at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 201. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit our blog at theeverydayinnovator.com.